The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. We've got a hot topic um, that I'm sure you are all seeing in the news these days. We're going to be talking about the Zika virus. Um, It's spreading like wildfire. And um, we're going to be talking with Joe Conlon, who has over 25 years experience in mosquito control. Um, He was a U.S. Navy entomologist, and now he is a technical advisor for the American Mosquito Control Association. And we're going to be talking about the virus, how it's spreading, um, what we can do to protect ourselves. But we'll also touch on the effect, if any, that climate change may be having on mosquito-borne illnesses and other such, um, besides the Zika virus, some of the other um, viruses that we've been accustomed to seeing only in tropical areas that we're beginning to see uh, further and further from the equator. So first of all, welcome to Go Green Radio, Joe. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, this is something that I know all of our listeners are very, very concerned about. We can't uh, can't go a f- more than a few minutes without seeing an alert pop up on our news apps on our smartphones about the Zika virus. So talk to us about why the spread of this virus is so particularly alarming. It's, it's really an interesting phenomenon, Jill. Um, I've never seen anything like it, frankly. And I think it's due to a number of different factors. First and foremost is the potential effects it has on, on uh, children born with microcephaly and mothers. Nothing gets uh, everybody's attention other than, you know, even more so than uh, uh, mothers and their babies. So right. that's one thing. That's a very frightening prospect. Number two, the fact that it's gotten into our area of the world and uh, metastasized so explosively has really gotten people's attention. Uh, and it's, it's like the fourth in a series of uh, viruses born by mosquitoes that have attacked the Western Hemisphere. And I think people are becoming a little bit alarmed at just time after time after time we're getting these diseases brought here and spread by mosquitoes. And uh, I think we're, we're getting burned out on it, frankly. But th- that's one of the reasons why people are so uh, afraid of this thing. And plus, uh, you know, it's it's a welcome respite, I think, to, to some extent, in a kind of a macabre way from uh, our political issues right now. <laughs> that is a fact. That is a fact. If there's anything that could trump Trump on the news cycle, it's the Zika virus and its effect on on babies, and it, and it is very serious. Now, mm-hmm. besides the impact, the human health impact that it has on um, on children, what are some of the other human health? problems that people who are infected by the virus may experience? Well, in, by and large, it's, it's a very um, benign disease. It, uh, the symptoms of, you know, neuralgia, you know, kind of nerve pain, joint pain, muscle pain, conjunctivitis, and rash 
are something that, that generally doesn't alarm people to the extent that they're going to the hospital and report it as such. So one of the things that uh, one of the effects it has is that it scares people because they really don't know if this little flu-like symptoms they've gotten, you know, over the past week are Zika virus or not. So it's it's really gotten everybody paranoid about that. Mm-hmm. Number two, there's there's a linkage, and I emphasize the word linkage because no definitive cause and effect has been drawn between the incidence of Zika virus infection and Guillain-Barre syndrome, which uh, mm-hmm. produces muscle weakness, paralysis that can last months, uh, weeks, or go away entirely. It's 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 one of those autoimmune diseases that uh, science has a very very difficult time pinning down an exact cause to it. So the fact that these uh, cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome have occurred simultaneously uh, to a large extent with uh, the outbreak of Zika virus has got people concerned that there is a causal effect there, but that has not been established because mm-hmm. they've had some cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome in the areas where Zika virus has been transmitted that they have definitively ruled out Zika virus. So the, the whole situation is pretty muddied right now. Mm-hmm. Is the Zika virus something that's new? I mean, is this a brand new, just making the scene disease? Well, it, is, it was discovered in 1947 in the Zika forest, uh, just uh, north of Entebbe, Uganda. And uh, it was found in mo- monkeys there. And it's probably been you know, circulating amongst the monkeys uh, uh, for a great deal of time. So, and we won't know exactly uh, how much. But all of a sudden, it broke out of this, uh, this forest um, uh, this, this forest transmission cycle that it was in with the monkeys and got into humans. And uh, so, no, it's not a new virus, but the fact that it's affecting humans is a relatively new phenomenon. Now, it's my understanding that not all types of mosquitoes carry the Zika virus. What types of mosquitoes um, can actually transmit the virus? As it stands right now, and again, this is, this is a, the temporary and, and the current uh, viewpoint on it, it's the Aedes aegypti mosquito, which is the primary uh, transmitter of this disease. The Aedes aegypti mosquito is also known as the yellow fever mosquito. And it's quite widespread in Africa, uh, the uh, uh, Polynesia, in Asia, and in South America, in Central and South America, and actually was quite uh, uh, widespread in the United States up until the, the uh, 30s, the 1930s. Mm-hmm. It uh, accounted for a number of epidemics of yellow fever in places like Memphis, Tennessee, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Norfolk, Virginia. So that particular mosquito can be... Um, very uh, can let's let's put it this way can breed quite readily in our climate as it stands right now but it hasn't lately primarily because of our standard of living and our public health infrastructure we've kept it down and really remanded it to a tropical status right now it's found in texas uh, louisiana mississippi uh, and florida and that's really about all all the places where it's found however there is a relative of Aedes aegypti called Aedes albopictus, the Asian tiger mosquito, which was introduced to the United States in the 1980s. And this particular mosquito is rather widespread in the eastern seaboard. Uh, you can find it as far west as Chicago, as far north as uh, New Jersey, and it's uh, very common where it's found. And this, this uh, particular mosquito has been found to be able to uh, transmit the disease in laboratory experiments, 
But whether mm-hmm. it's really a good transmitter of these diseases out into the field is, uh, has yet to be seen. So we can't really jump to conclusions with this particular mosquito. But it would be prudent if we prepared for the eventuality that it will indeed transmit this uh, virus. Mm-hmm. And is it possible to rid a community of these two types of mosquitoes using standard mosquito abatement procedures? No. Unfortunately, these mosquitoes are day biters. Although Aedes albopictus, the Asian tiger mosquito, will bite at night, and Aedes aegypti will bite at night if, if a, uh, a proper host presents itself. But they're primarily day biters. And day-biting mosquitoes don't respond well to standard mosquito control uh, practices such as aerial sprays or, or truck-mounted misting sprays. Those rely upon uh, atmospheric determinants to keep the spray in an area, and you can't do that during the day. The winds and, and the, uh, the sunlight will denature the um, uh, the pesticide, and, and they just don't respond well to that. And you can't get the, mos- the mosquito side on to actually impinge upon the mosquito so that it doesn't receive a toxic dose because Aedes aegypti is generally indoors, and you can't get the stuff indoors. So, mm-hmm. no, the, the short answer is no, they don't respond to standard mosquito control pat- uh, practices, but they can be controlled. How is that? Tell us more. Um, it, these mosquitoes breed in containers that uh, human beings provide. Uh, any trash thrown out in the back they'll, uh, that fills with water, they'll breed in that. Um, if you've got wood pile with a, uh, a tarpaulin over it, the creases in that will breed these types of mosquitoes. They're not breeding out in your ditches or your ponds or anything like that. They are breeding in places that human beings have control over where they are. So if you get rid of these particular breeding habitats, you can get rid of the mosquitoes. And what's the best place for our listeners to find out kind of the nitty-gritty, what they could do in their own backyard um, to, to rid you know, themselves of these breeding grounds? Is there a, a website or is there a, you know, a resource that we can find that information on? Sure. The American Mosquito Control Association website is one place, and that uh, website is at www.mosquito.org. That's pretty easy to remember. Right. Well, that's good and information. One is the CDC website has the recommendations also. Mm-hmm. And if any of your listeners want more information on a more personalized note, just shoot me an email, and I'd be most happy to uh, regale them with all kinds of information on it. Fantastic. What You want to give us your email? Sure. My email address is Conlon, C-O-N-L-O-N-A-M as in Michael, C-A-T-A, so it's Conlon, A-M-C-A-T-A, that's the acronym for American Mosquito Control Association Technical Advisor. So it's mm-hmm. Conlon, A-M-C-A-T-A, at gmail.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Joe. Sure. Now, let's talk a little bit about the currently known cases of the Zika virus in the United States. Mm-hmm. How did the Americans who we know have contracted the virus, how did they, how did they manage to contract it? They contracted from mosquito bites down south. Excuse me, in uh, Central and South America, where they uh, where they were doing uh, research, one of them caught it in in Africa. But there are places where this disease is found. It, you're finding it there because they have the mosquitoes there, and these people got bitten by the mosquitoes and came back to the United States. And you can rest assured that we're going to find a lot more cases of that uh, in the coming weeks and months. That people coming back from you know El Salvador and Guyana and Suriname and places like that are going to show up at doctor's office 
uh, with mild symptoms of, uh, of Zika virus, and it's a notifiable disease. So if the if a physician discovers that you have it, they have to notify CDC. So and, you're going to see a lot more. And do they have to do that, blood work? Primarily how they got that? it. Do doctors have to do blood work to diagnose it, or do they just, you know, is it symptomatic? Well, to, to verify it, they will have to use blood work. But you can do a presumptive diagnosis. If a person comes in with a conjunctivitis, you know, red eye, and if they've got a rash, and if they've got uh, uh, muscle pains and joint pains, uh, maybe a headache, that should uh, lead the physician to ask you if you have been to one of the places where Zika virus is found. That's one of the things that CDC is doing is they're notifying physicians and county health officials of what countries where people have gone to do have Zika virus. So they will, if, if you're showing these symptoms and you've been to a country that has Zika virus, the presumptive diagnosis is that you have Zika virus. But in order to confirm that, they're going to have to do blood tests. Gotcha. Well, we're going to talk more about the Zika virus, how it's spreading, how it could spread, and more about what you need to know to protect yourself just after this commercial break. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Hey you, yeah you, are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could all join us. We're talking about a mosquito-borne illness today that is all over the news. It's the Zika virus. And our guest today, in case you're just tuning in, is Joe Conlon. He's a technical advisor for the American Mosquito Control Association. And if you want to check out their website, it's chock full of great information. Don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com, but open up a new tab in your web browser and go to www.mosquito.org. Is that right, Joe? Did I get that? that indeed, that's correct. Okay. Check that out for some great information. So, we were talking about just before the break that there are some Americans who have contracted the Zika virus after traveling overseas. But Joe, is it possible for people who are infected with the Zika virus to become carriers and spread the disease to other people? Indeed, that's possible. Now, we have to couch that in some terms, though, that are a little bit less stark than they will become carriers. Uh, They will become carriers for a certain length of time. It's thought right now that we're talking about, oh, seven days to ten days that they could be infective to mosquitoes and be able to transmit it to another person via mosquito. But right now they're looking at, at, uh, you know, not quarantining, but telling people that if you've been uh, diagnosed with with this uh, Zika virus to not give blood for 30 days, and that's just a precautionary measure. So can they be uh, carrying it for years and years and years? Frankly, they don't know, but they don't think so because the viruses that that it's uh, related to do not show that propensity. Mm-hmm. And because it's a bloodborne disease, you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned that if someone who is infected with the virus is bitten by a mosquito that is possible is a possible transmitter of the virus, and that mosquito, you know, has some of their blood in it, and then it transmits it to another person by biting them. That that's how the person infected with the Zika virus could become a carrier. Is there any other way in which a person who's infected with the Zika virus, that their blood, minus a mosquito, could infect Mm -hmm. another person if that other person is exposed to their blood? Well, it's possible uh, for um, blood transfusion, through blood transfusion, and I'm sure CDC is very worried about that because Mm -hmm. a closely allied virus, West Nile virus, can be transmitted uh, through blood transfusion. Secondly, uh, it can be transmitted sexually, evidently. Um, and they've demonstrated pretty conclusively that in a couple of cases, at least, it has been um, uh, transmitted sexually. Mm-hmm. And found in people's urine. It has been found in people's saliva, uh, which complicates the matter substantially because people will tend to think about this as potentially a devastating sexually transmitted disease. What CDC and the World Health Organization are telling us, though, is that it's highly unlikely that this, way, this means of transmission will be widespread. That is their informed opinion. Um, but frankly, you know, the bottom line is, at this point, they just don't know. 
This is a relatively recent epidemiological phenomenon. So there's a lot that we don't know about this virus and its transmission dynamics. Mm-hmm. What is the difference? I was on the CDC website, and they talked about the difference between an imported case of the Zika virus and local transmission. Can you just help us understand that terminology so that if we see that in the news, we can understand the difference? Sure. An imported case is really the way it's going to happen here in the United States. Someone goes to an area that has Zika virus, they contract the virus there, they come back to the United States, and at that point they get sick because there's about a 7 to 10 day um, uh, incubation period where you're not showing any symptoms, but you've mm-hmm. got the virus. And what's dangerous about it is that the virus can be transmitted from you during that period of time when you don't even know you've got it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they'll come back and then they'll, have, uh, uh, they'll eventually get the symptoms. And then at that point, um, you know, may go to, go to the doctor and it gets reported at that point. That's an imported case. And, Jill, we have hundreds of thousands of imported cases of viruses all the time that Mm. get reported to CDC. What we don't have is usually they're not establishing themselves here so that that they become diseases of interest and epidemics. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is we've got a very good detection mechanism to find these people. And secondly, we've got resources on site to eliminate the mosquitoes that are going to possibly be transmitting this. Now, the locally required stuff is when it sets up shop here in the United States, someone brings it in imported, and the mosquitoes here start transmitting it. And then Mm -hmm. you've got issues. We had that happen with West Nile virus. We had people coming in before West Nile virus really reached our shores in massive proportions that had it. But it ended up coming in through New York City and Staten Island and the zoo out there when the mosquitoes that were there already were very good transmitters of it. So Mm -hmm. they started a transmission cycle. Malaria is the same way. We've had 63, in the last 10 years, we've had 63 outbreaks of malaria in the United States that were locally transmitted. People brought them, you know, went to Africa, brought malaria back with them, and the mosquitoes in the area, particular type of mosquitoes in the area, started transmitting it to people around them. And the CDC was notified, and we took, act, took action to control the epidemic. So that's the difference. We have imported cases all the time of diseases, but mm-hmm. they don't establish themselves here because we get notified of it, and we do something about it. In certain cases, though, you get local transmission when things happen before we can really get a good handle on it. And we're mm-hmm. trying to get a handle on uh, having resources available to make um, control efforts a little bit more timely. But that's mm-hmm. easier said than done, frankly. Well, and I was reading in Time Magazine uh, that they, they reported that only four out of five people infected with Zika ever show symptoms. And there's concern that because of that, that will make the virus hard to track and hard to stop. Does that concern you? Yes. And actually, it's only one out of five. Oh. Four out of five. Yeah, they, had, they got that wrong. Only one out of five. So, gotcha. uh, and, and that happens with most of the viruses that we get transmitted. The West Nile virus, uh, there's a small percentage of people actually show the symptoms. But the fact that we've had, you know, 42,000 cases over the last, you know, several years means that we've had an enormous number of people mm-hmm. who have actually gotten West Nile virus. We're probably going to have the same thing with the uh, Zika virus. 
to a smaller extent because the, the mosquitoes that transmit Zika virus, um, they have to, as I say, uh, breed in and around the houses and they have to continually breed in and around houses. So if you've got areas that are, uh, in many cases, uh, where trash isn't picked up and whatnot, uh, you could start a small cycle uh, of uh, Zika virus transmission there, particularly if it's in a place where there's a lot of people crowded together in urban areas. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, with things like West Nile virus, West Nile virus tends to rely upon mosquitoes that don't breed inside houses. They breed outside of houses. So it's more widespread, but it's not as concentrated as the Zika virus. The point here being that we have to, have, we have to detect and install intervention measures as soon as possible when these things happen, because it's going to happen more and more and more and more often. Jill, the, the world's getting smaller. It's not getting larger. Mm-hmm. And some of the nastiest diseases on the planet are a seven-hour plane flight away. And right now, we don't have the resources to test everybody who's coming in from, say, Ghana or you know, Suriname. Uh, they're not tested as they get off the plane. We just don't have the resources to do that. So we need to have a, an infrastructure in place that if indeed one of them comes down sick, we can attend to that case, manage that case, and prevent other cases right away. That's really about all we can do. We can't keep it all out of, the, out of our uh, out of our uh, country. Right. But the point is, we need to be prepared for that because this isn't the end. Well, and, and maybe we can expand upon that a little bit. I mean, what are some of the specific things that the CDC is doing to prepare? You know, is the U.S. ready for this? And if not, what more do we need to do in order to be ready? Well, right now, it's, it's, it's a case of, of two things, money always a case of money, mm-hmm. having enough money to, you know, uh, provide testing facilities to, throughout the United States, and um, the political will uh, to do that, um, and it, it's, it's um, trying to develop tests that are easier to use, that are less expensive, and get them deployed here in the United States, and another thing is that places, in, in some instances, where these diseases might be most likely to set up shop are in many of the poorer areas of our inner cities. Mm-hmm. And these do not have really good vector control programs associated with them. So another thing CDC is doing is looking into trying to bolster the mosquito control activities in places right now that don't have the infrastructure to do it because they don't have the tax base. So mm. CDC is actively looking into that, and they are <clears throat> working with the American Mosquito Control Association to identify those places so that money can be afforded to these, in, to the, these places so that vector control, mosquito control um, organizations can be set up. It's not a, an overnight process, though. Certainly not. And, I mean, we've seen even... You know, not related to the Zika virus, but uh, last week on Go Green Radio, we were talking about, you know, the water infrastructure problems that contributed to the the lead poisoning in the water of Flint, Michigan. Again, an economically depressed area where, you know, resources even to, to pay for clean water from the Detroit system, you know, wasn't even in place. And I'm sure that you know, it's kind of like those communities just seem to get hit with all of these problems and it and it is an infrastructure issue on so many levels um, and that is that is a big issue 
Right. It's a big issue. But, you know, frankly, trash removal and uh, uh, people cleaning up their own trash. I mean, you and I, I live in a very nice neighborhood in Florida. We've got, we've got a couple neighbors who have got, you know, uh, children's toys all over the backyard. We can't mm-hmm. see them from the, the road because the uh, Homeowners Association won't allow it. But they're, uh-huh. they're growing mosquitoes like crazy in those things. So wow. it's, um, you know, everybody's got that issue. But by and large, you get into some of the poorer sections of the inner cities, there is a lot of trash out there, and they're breeding their own problem. Now, uh-huh. we can go out, and as part of our um, control strategy, is to go out and educate the public on how they, you know, they can help us uh-huh. deal with this issue with the mosquitoes. But it's one thing instructing them on how to do it, and it's another thing on getting them to do it. Right. And, and well, it's, it's, it's a cultural thing with a lot of people. Well, and, and I know that a lot of environmental groups who work with, you know, areas that are economically um, challenged and where there are maybe environmental justice issues and whatnot, they have found that even, you know, the religious community leaders tend to be some of the most effective communicators in mm-hmm. areas where you're finding these exact same types of problems that instead of the Sierra Club going in and and doing this that sometimes you know it's the pastors and you know the, and folks in those leadership positions who have the trust and the credibility within the community to raise these issues and to help educate the community and I don't know if the CDC you know works on that level but you know, yes, uh, they do. I, I can uh, tell you, they've got their folks are very much attuned and keenly aware of what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that the most effective uh, people to get through to, in many cases, is the religious uh, leaders in the in the uh, community. Yeah, they're very very aware of that, and that is one of their specific target audiences. Good, good. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to cover some of the things that we can do to prevent or to protect ourselves, prevent this virus from infecting our communities. We're also going to touch on how climate change may or may not be playing a role in the spread of diseases like the Zika virus. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. 
You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. If you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. We're talking about the Zika virus today. Our guest is Joe Conlon. He's a technical advisor for the American Mosquito Control Association. And we've been talking about the spread of the disease. We've been talking about what kinds of mosquitoes carry this virus. Um, You know, Joe, when I was a kid you know i didn't like getting mosquito bites but all i was really worried about was the red bumps so the idea was you know if i was going to be out around dusk i'd spray some off on me and and off i'd go um i grew up in a in a very rural area and that was a pretty good strategy but now we know that not all mosquitoes carry the same types of diseases and they don't all bite the same times of day. So give us some strategies. Help us understand the threats that are posed by various types of mosquitoes and how we can reduce our risks of being bitten given that they're not all night biters. Indeed. Um, Well, let's start with the Aedes aegypti first because it is the one that is uh, transmitting this Zika, Zika virus. Again, it's found in the lower tier of the southern states bordering the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. It it breeds indoors, which puts it in close contact with humans, and it prefers to bite humans. It would rather bite you than your dog. Whereas the uh, Aedes albopictus, the Asian tiger mosquito, also breeds inside houses, but breeds a little bit more often outside of houses, and it will feed on anything. Okay, it'll feed on you, your dog, your cat, whatever. Okay, so that mm-hmm. makes it a little bit more dangerous. Both of these mosquitoes prefer to bite during the day, as opposed to other mosquitoes that are out there at night. The, they will bite at night, but they prefer to bite during the day, and what's particularly insidious about them is they prefer to bite your lower extremities. So if you go out midday and you're sitting on, uh, you know, a chair out on your porch, they might be hiding underneath your chair and come out and feed upon your legs, and you don't even know it mm. until you get the bumps later on. Mm-hmm. That makes them really, really difficult. And really, the way to keep yourself from getting bitten by these mosquitoes is to, well, first of all, get rid of the mosquitoes to begin with. But if you can't do that, wear long sleeves. Wear long pants. Um, wear clothing that is loosely fitted because mm-hmm. mosquitoes can and will bite through tight-fitting clothing. So if you're going to be wearing tight-fitting clothing, make sure it's a very tight weave 
so that they can't get their mouth parts through it. Mm, okay. Okay. And um, if you're going to use repellents, I strongly advise that you use repellents. Use only EPA-registered repellents. And uh, you'll know that a repellent is EPA-registered right next to the ingredients on a repellent bottle. It's going to have a number above it that says EPA registration number. If it's got that number, it means that the EPA is satisfied that it's both safe to use, and by safe I mean doesn't uh, pose any undue risk. Mm -hmm. It's both safe to use, and it has demonstrated to the EPA that it works Mm at least two hours, generally four. If it doesn't have an EPA registration number, that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't work. It just means it hasn't proven it to the EPA. People haven't bothered to do it because it costs a lot of money to do the testing on that. But -hmm. I would prefer to use EPA-registered repellents. And there are a number of them out there, and uh, people can choose them based upon personal preference. Uh, Number one, the the gold standard of all mosquito repellents is DEET. Mm -hmm. It's still the best one out there. Uh, But it had, in the past, some significant issues with um, cosmetics, uh, i.e., it smelled bad, Mm -hmm. it was greasy, and uh, it uh, would cloud up your watch crystals and stuff like that. So it had some (laughs) issues with it that caused people not to use it. The manufacturers of DEET have addressed that and made it a little bit more consumer acceptable. If you're going to use DEET, if that's the one you want to use, I would suggest you use a 25 to 35 percent solution. Don't you don't need to get the 80 and 90 and 100 percent stuff. That'll give you a little longer protection time, but it's not going to give you any more protection. If you know mm. what I mean, okay. it's going to prevent you from getting, say, 95 percent of your uh, uh, bites. It's going to keep 95 percent of the mosquitoes away from you. And if you get 100 percent, it's not going to keep, keep any more than 95 percent. The repellency mm-hmm. will plateau at about 35 percent. So, that's the DEET. Now, the second one, if people don't want to use DEET for whatever reason, and I can understand that, is a picaridin. And that's spelled P-I-C-A-R-I-D-I-N. Mm-hmm. And it's marketed under a number of different uh, 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 formulations. Uh, Cutter Advanced Sport is one of them. I would suggest that people get that in a 15% solution if they're going to use it. Uh, picaridin is a synthetic derivative of pepper plants, so it has kind of a, a natural organic pedigree to it, but it is a synthetic. It's extremely effective, uh, every bit as effective as DEET. It has a very light feel, it doesn't smell, so it's, got a, uh, it's, it's a lot better consumer-wise. Uh, I've used it, I like it, I've used DEET when I was in the military, when I was in the Navy in the jungles, I used DEET, so mm-hmm. both of those are fine. The third one, if you really want to have a plant-derived one, a natural product, so to speak, is uh, oil of lemon eucalyptus. An oil of lemon eucalyptus, get it about a 40% formulation. You're going to smell like oil of lemon eucalyptus, but hey, it's <laughs> going to keep the mosquitoes off of you. Mm-hmm. So those are three that I can recommend. There's another one out there that's EPA registered registered called IR3535. That's what it's on the direct, in the ingredients, IR3535. I won't tell you what the actual IR3535 means because it would take me an hour to say it. <laughs> so, but it's very effective also. But all of these have been deemed to not pose an undue risk to humans when used properly. Uh-huh. Emphasize to your listeners, 
read the label on the uh, repellent and follow it assiduously. That label is a legal document. And if you violate the label by drinking this stuff or putting too much of it on, you're violating federal law, actually. So, and, and a lot of money and time and effort and testing has been put into that label to tell you how much to use and when to use it. So mm-hmm. follow the label assiduously. And you'll well, keep the those off of you to the extent that you can. And let me ask you another question. Since we're worried now about mosquitoes during the daytime, which, like I said, when I was a kid, we really didn't worry about that so much. If you're going to apply sunscreen and a mosquito repellent, which one goes first? Sunscreen. Okay. BDC gotcha. recommends that you put sunscreen on and then put the, uh, your repellent on over it. And, and make sure that you, um, if you're going in the water, you know, if you're doing it at the beach and you're going in the water, when you come back out, you're going to have to reapply it. I mean, okay. a lot of people will call me up, Jill, and say, well, the mosquitoes in my area aren't uh, repelled by this stuff. Well, yes, they are. You're just not using it right, or you're not <laughs> reapplying it. If you, if you go out and do a lot of strenuous exercise, uh, you're going to sweat a lot of that stuff off, and you're going to have to reapply it. That being said, the label may say that you can only apply it, you know, every 30 minutes or, uh, you know, three or four times a day. So the label will tell you exactly what you're supposed to do with it if it's not working. You just can't lather it on, you know, 24 hours a day. Gotcha. Well, that was really helpful. But, you know, you can get, there's people that actually drank uh, DEET and and killed themselves with it. So, you know, you don't want to drink this stuff. But putting it on your skin, uh, it volatilizes off to keep the uh, mosquitoes away. And uh, the rest of it that isn't volatilized off uh, comes out in urine uh, within um, a couple hours. So it's very, very, very safe to use. Well, that was really helpful, and I know our listeners will appreciate that. You know, to pivot a bit, because this is Go Green Radio, and we talk about environmental issues, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there are those who say that climate change could increase the global risks of mosquito-borne diseases. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that, Joe. What do you think? Well, you know, I I straddle the fence on that, Jill, because uh, way back when... Uh, my goodness, as, even as late as 19, 1935, we had 125,000 cases of malaria transmitted in this country every year. They have malaria transmitted locally in places like Finland and Russia every mm-hmm. year. So these, those types of diseases actually do quite well um, in colder climates. And there is research out now that says that your temperate climates, like you have here in the United States, are actually more conducive to malaria of transmission than are, than are the, trap, the tropics. The reason mm-hmm. why it's going crazy in the tropics is because of lack of mosquito control methods and personal protective measures. So uh, that being said, if the, if the climate is indeed warming and it's bringing more rain, uh, in all likelihood you're going to have more mosquitoes and then the more potential for transmission of disease by the mosquitoes. And there is obvious documentation of the fact that the warmer the mosquito is, the more rapidly pathogens will multiply in their gut in order for them to transmit. But as I, I said before, it's, it's a very complicated thing because some people have, have noticed and, and done experiments to say that, you know, if you cool off some of these mosquitoes, they, they are just as, as capable of transmitting these diseases. But if I was a betting man, Jill, I would say that if, as the climate warms, we're going to have more issues with the mosquito-borne diseases. 
mm-hmm. the fact is, is we, you know, we in the United States, as I said before, we have we've had devastating epidemics of diseases, uh, dengue fever, the classic breakbone fever that's going crazy yeah. in the Caribbean right now, uh, was first discovered in Philadelphia by Dr. Benjamin Rush in 1781. So these things used to do quite well here. So mm-hmm. we don't really need global warming to push the envelope in terms of, of uh, mosquito-borne disease. But should global warming actually be happening and continue to happen and uh, uh, we get more rainfall, uh, it, in all likelihood, yeah, we'll probably have more, more issues with mosquito-borne disease. But it's not necessarily just totally dependent upon temperature. It's, pretty more, it's more attendant to uh, rainfall. And the moisture. Hmm. Interesting. Thanks for that perspective, because I think, you know, that's something that we've heard from a, a number of guests on Go Green Radio, and, and that's a really an interesting, you know, way of looking at it. There's so many variables. It's hard to know. But the bottom line is, it's best for us to be prepared in any eventuality with good mosquito control. And so, you know, that's something that you've helped us understand quite a bit. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have much more on Zika virus with Joe Conlon. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Sylvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Just in case you've only now tuned in, let me catch you up. We're talking about the Zika virus today, and our guest is Joe Conlon. He's the technical advisor for the American uh, Mosquito Control Association. Joe, is there a vaccine for the Zika virus? And if there's not, is there anybody working on one? Well, the first answer is no, there is no vaccine for it. Uh, The second answer is almost 
kind of. No, there's right now. There's there's they're thinking about making vi- uh, a vaccination for it, uh, utilizing vaccines that we already have and modifying them a little bit. But the fact is, is that you know things like West Nile virus, uh, Eastern equine encephalitis, Zika virus, chikungunya occur sporadically, and they're unpredictable when they're going to occur. So making a virus, we would have to vaccinate everybody with it, which would be a logistical and financial nightmare. Um, or we could stockpile virus, uh, vaccinations and keep them available, but getting them to the people once a, a, an epidemic starts would be logistically difficult. So there are a lot of obstacles uh, to making these things, and they're enormously costly to yeah. produce these, these uh, vaccines. If something gets set up and uh, in terms of uh, Zika virus in this country to have a local transmission at a number of different places, that would provide an impetus for doing this. But I, at present, unless there's political pressure or public pressure to do so, I don't really see it probably happening. Mm-hmm. Can a person be infected multiple times with Zika virus, or do infected people tend to build up an immunity? Actually, if it, if it goes the way of the other flavor viruses, like dengue fever um, or um, uh, uh, West Nile virus or uh, some of the other viruses that are transmitted by mosquitoes, generally one attack of the diseases confers immunity, lifelong immunity. But in point of fact, we really don't know with this particular mm-hmm. one because it's, it's, it's different in its own way. Uh, this one has really um, taken us by surprise. And by us, I mean the medical establishment and the vector control establishment, the public health folks. So, you know, the short answer is we really don't know, but in all likelihood, one attack will confer immunity. Is it unusual for a mosquito-borne illness like the Zika virus to be transmitted in utero from a pregnant mother to her fetus? I'm just wondering if this is, you know, if this is normal or if this indicates that a mutation of some kind has taken place. Yes and yes. Uh, It is unusual. Uh, Most of the flaviviruses in particular do not have any what they call teratogenic effects, meaning transferred uh, from the the mother to offspring. Most of them don't have that. Evidently, this one does. So we're in uncharted territory here with that. Um, And I'm sorry, what was the second question that you said? Well, I was just wondering if that indicated that some sort of a mutation Uh, had taken place. That's hard to say. It's possible because these viruses do um, mutate. And one of the things we're we're afraid of is that the virus will mutate so that it's transmitted by more than one species of mosquito. Mm. If that happens, then we've got some real problems. Mm -hmm. If it it gets transmitted, say, by some of the Culex species that transmit West Nile virus, they are very, uh, very abundant in the United States. And if that uh, allows for transmission there, then we've got issues. But that hasn't happened with any of the other viruses. <clears throat> but the fact is, is that West Nile virus is transmitted by Culex mosquitoes, and West Nile virus is very closely allied to Zika virus. So it wouldn't take a whole lot of mutation in order for it to put it in the same transmission dynamics as West Nile virus, which would be disastrous. Mm-hmm. And what does it say about the Zika virus that it is not blocked by the placenta, that it can pass from a, a pregnant mother to her fetus. What, what does that indicate to you about the Zika virus? It's um, particularly dangerous. 
obviously mm-hmm. particularly dangerous. Um, and there, it's, it's evidently at least found in all kinds of body fluids. And that uh, makes it dangerous, too. Now, whether that, in effect, is going to make it more easily transmitted because it can be found, say, in saliva and urine, that remains to be seen. But we've got a tremendous amount of research that has to come into <coughs> excuse me, this, this particular uh, virus because we know so little about it. Uh, again, until you know, uh, May of last year, uh, no one really cared all that much about Zika virus. And now, all of a sudden, it is the thing. So there's a tremendous amount of research, <coughs> excuse me, that needs to be done in order uh, for us to take, uh, you know, some prudent measures with regard to this. What we don't want to do is fly off the handle, um, mm-hmm. and what CDC definitely doesn't want to see happen is for us to fly off the handle and have a, you know, boy who cried wolf type of thing. Right. Uh, you know, we get spun up, go to general quarters, so to speak, and, mm-hmm. uh, and for it to fizzle out and people just not pay any attention to what CDC says the next time something comes around like Rift Valley fever. So we don't want that to happen. But by the same token, we need to prepare for that eventuality. We need to, for if Zika virus does fizzle out, it's still incumbent upon us as public health officials to prepare for the possibility that it doesn't. Because even if it only affects you know, 10 or 15 people in the United States, that 10 or, that's 10 or 15 people in the United States too many. Mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. We have the means to control these diseases, and we should utilize them. Mm-hmm. You know, Brazil has been particularly hard hit by the Zika virus, um, and they're hosting the Olympics this oh, summer. Yeah. yeah, How do you expect the juxtaposition of the Olympics and the outbreak of the Zika virus to impact the virus's spread? Well, it's in a macabre way, it's probably going to... Uh, be helpful in that a lot of resources are going to be directed against containing the virus that might not have been uh, directed towards that containment without the Olympics being uh, close. <clears throat> now, let's, let's face it. The Olympic athletes are not, themselves are not going to be staying in slums. They're going to be staying in four- and five-star hotels, which have air conditioning, screening, et cetera, et cetera. So they're, in all likelihood, not going to be exposed to this virus, except if they go out to eat, uh, you know, in some sidewalk cafes and stuff like that. But in, in point of fact, it's going to drive a lot of research, the, the fact that, uh, you know, there's going to be world attention on this, and it's going to probably um, engender funds from different places, maybe the Gates Foundation, other places uh, are going to give them funds because no one wants to see people starting to get sick in the middle of the Olympics. So I think having the Olympics at this time is going to be good for control measures. Well, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, tell us, you know, just in the closing couple of minutes that we have of the show, talk to us about some of the things that the American Mosquito Control Association um, offers to the public, what's on your website, and and some of the services and some of the, um, you know, information that our listeners might be able to glean from your organization. Mm -hmm. Well, on our, on our, um, we've got a frequently asked questions on the, on our website. These are questions that have been asked of me oftentimes, and I can give them answers that way. Uh, there's sections on the biology of mosquitoes. You know, a mosquito is not a mosquito is not a mosquito. <clears throat> we have 174 different species of mosquitoes in the United States, and they all behave differently. There's some significant overlap, but they all behave differently, mm-hmm. and you really have to know 
your mosquitoes in order to uh, control them effectively, efficiently, and with minimal environmental impact. So we've got a lot of information on our website about those kind of things. And also we have uh, uh, you know, links to local mosquito abatement districts. There's a lot of people out there, Jill, that will contact me that are unaware that there's a mosquito abatement or a mosquito control district um, that operates in their area. So mm-hmm. whenever someone writes a question to me, I always direct them to their local mosquito abatement district if I know that they have one. So there's a tremendous amount of knowledge <clears throat> out there um, that we're willing to give. And if people, uh, I've already given my email address out, if they want, uh, if they have a particular question that isn't addressed on the website, please, uh, you know, ask me uh, via email. I'd be most happy. I don't have any canned answers. I I uh, uh, address people's concerns directly and personally because this is this is first. This may be their only um, interaction with a person uh, conversant with mosquito control, and I want it to be an educational experience for them. And I don't have any agendas. You know, the, the chemical industry isn't funding me or anything like that, so they don't have to worry about that. I'm going to give them the uh, the straight uh, the straight information. Well, I so appreciate that, Joe. You've been so generous with your time and uh, giving us this information and and follow-up resources that our listeners can explore. So thank you so much for being on the show. I want to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.